you're listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features learnings from trailblazers in entrepreneurship and investment. I'm your host, Brianna Shaw, and today on the show, we have Vimla Pikut, founder of Reboundware. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for being on the show. It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, wonderful. Uh, maybe to start out with, could you tell me about Reboundware? So Reboundware is where fashion meets function. It's a dressing solution for when regular clothing is constrictive or difficult to wear. So, for example, if you're wearing a cast but you're ready to go to work, it's difficult to find clothing that's suitable for that kind of thing. Or if you're an athlete and you have maybe a pulled muscle, you know, after most games you have to work out with a PT therapist and it's really tricky to do it in just regular clothing. You get all tangled up because some of the manipulations are complicated. So it's just um, there are lots of times throughout our lives when for one reason or another it's difficult to wear regular clothing and rebound wear is something that you can actually <laughs> it doesn't sound very good um it's when regular clothing literally adds insult to injury so you're forced to undress and get into a robe when you're not feeling well when you're in a hospital you have to expose yourself to a bunch of strangers throughout the day so all of these different situations just make what most of us consider a simple daily task really stressful um and difficult super cool and what is it that inspired you to start rebound wear so most people in, will encounter a situation like this at one point or another with a friend or family member. Maybe a friend uh, has an emergency situation and they have to go to the hospital or you have a baby. But it's, a, it's an occasional thing. But for some reason in my life as a mother and as a daughter and as a, a caregiver, I was taking care of friends and family members within six months. So it really was a concentration of this very difficult situation. Um, by about the fourth time, I thought, this is really silly. There must be a better <laughs> way for people with mobility issues to get dressed. I can't be the only one having these struggles with my friends and family trying to get them dressed. Absolutely. So my, I started, it was, uh, my mother did have a hip surgery, so I, that's where it started. And then I have a young athletic son, he had a ski injury. Um, and he left the hospital bare-chested because his shirt didn't fit over the, his cast. So he was humiliated. And then I had a, uh, an older friend who fell down. And we had to put her in a senior center. So it was three different demographics, all struggling with the same problem, though. Young, you know, one very healthy, very agile. My mother's in really great shape. She had just kind of a routine kind of surgery that she was out in an ambulatory out in a day. So... The problem was the same for this wide range of demographic. Hmm, that's interesting. And what is your background? How did you figure out all of the things that you needed to start and get rebound wear off the ground? After struggling with this personally um, and thinking there must be a better way, I realized that I am not the only person with this problem. And I started to dig in deep and I realized 30 million Americans have this problem every day. Oh, wow. Um, and I thought, I have a background in fashion. In my 20s, I worked for the top fashion houses, uh, Chanel, Valentino, Armani, uh, Yves Saint Laurent. So I have a background in fashion. I designed a line of children's clothing uh, as well. So I thought, okay, I'm here in the fa fashion district of, you know, the fashion center of the country. Um, I do have a design background. Um, let me just see if I can come up with a solution um, and I started to whittle away at it yeah definitely no that sounds fantastic 
And what would you say has been uh, your biggest win with Reboundware so far? I, I know you guys are, are fairly early, but I'm wondering what are some things that you've been excited about? We started with a soft launch, and I would say the biggest win is the feedback that we're getting from our customers. Our customers love telling their stories. Uh, because of the nature of the product, we actually do have uh, a lot of telephone conversations um, or a lot of contact with them, email, telephone, whatever. And I just, they, the feedback that we're getting is so positive. They're thrilled with the product. Uh, they tell us how helpful it's been to them, how it's changed their experience. Um, so we started something called the Weekly Buzz. Um, and, you know, we just said, look, don't take our word for it. Listen to what everybody has to say. But they're so enthusiastic. Um, and it's also interesting to see who these people are. You know, you, it's never what you expect. I thought we were going to be selling to a certain demographic and a certain uh, location and it's not that at all. We're selling to people all over the country of all different age ranges for all different reasons. Reasons I had never actually anticipated. So. <laughs> That's interesting. What are what are some of the reasons that you, you hadn't anticipated? Well, you know, this was so cool. So one woman called. She needed a shirt. She pulled her shoulder out. And she explained that she was a pilot. And when she was landing her plane, she pulled her shoulder out. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I guess that is a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it's things like that every week, you know, it's, and it's fun. I mean, I, you know, but she was very brave about getting, you know, she's, she was just practical and she's just, oh, I've got to get my shoulder fixed. I've got to get back into flying my plane. And she was a fly fisher as well. <laughs> so she sent us pictures of her and her waiters next to her airplane. So it's That's really, awesome. it is so awesome. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm also wondering uh, what has been the, the biggest hurdle in the business and how have you overcome them? Because I know as when you're starting out a new business, there's lots of different issues that come up. And so I'm wondering what are some things that, that you've struggled with that, are, um, that our audience might be interested in, in learning your struggles about? So in the manufacturing world, being small and being early really is uh, a challenge. What they always say is that you benefit from the economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you're rich and you can make hundreds of thousands of pieces, you get this bargain. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're, when you're small and you're building, you know, whatever you're building in very small quantities, you have to pay the highest uh, possible rates in manufacturing. So that's been very difficult. And again, when you're small, they'll run they'll run our orders through, but we're always at the back of the line because there's always some client that's bigger, you know, and they're making hundreds of thousands and they need to get it. So we're always at the back of the line. So we pay the most and we get the least amount of service. <laughs> so that's a little challenging um, because it's an inventory issue. We did a soft launch, as I said, and we did a test market and it started to sell pretty quickly. And our product takes a lot of time in terms of getting everything in the production line. Hmm. That's been a little bit challenging. Hmm. So what are some things that you've done to, to counter that? So we just have to do a better job of anticipating sales. And at a certain point, you just kind of have to jump in to make a larger quantity. I think in terms of business models, investors are adverse to companies that have too much inventory or too many SKUs. So you just have to decide when is that point where you can actually take the plunge and order enough inventory to keep you ahead of the game. 
Yeah, this is also a hard product because if you if you break your if you're having your hip replaced, you need it at once. It's not something that you can wait for weeks for. There's no waiting list, and that's the tricky part. Hmm, That's interesting. You were also recently a part of the the Rent the Runway and uh, UBS Project Entrepreneur 2017 Venture Competition, and are now the entrepreneur in residence for for Rebecca Minkoff. So I'm wondering, what have you learned from from venture competitions and entrepreneurship communities at large? It's like going through the college application process all over again. Um, So the applications are long and they're time consuming. Um, But in another, at the same time, it's a great exercise in making sure that every aspect of your company is um, up to date and relevant. So they want to know things about your numbers or your, your distribution networks or whatever it is. So it's a long process. But again, every time, you know, you'll, you'll start an application, you're like, oh, goodness, you know, we haven't thought about that in a while. And so, <laughs> so it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you current. Um, and the biggest benefit for uh, an entrepreneur or a startup is that you spend so much time alone uh, building your business and becoming part of a larger community is so helpful and so productive. And I've done it for FounderMate as well. And the startup community is very um, generous in terms of sharing resources and ideas. They're really supportive, I think, because we all work in such a solitary, you know, circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you have the opportunity to be in a group and you're all doing the same thing, regardless of what you're creating, many of the hurdles or the challenges are the same. People are so generous and excited. And and, and the other wonderful thing is that you're just surrounded with with other people with great ideas and passion. So it's exhilarating. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, that sounds sounds really invigorating. It is. It is. Do you have recommendations for folks who are trying to um, who are trying to get applications in for for these competitions? Like what are some things that have that have worked well for you and, and what are, uh, what is some advice that you have? So I am a parent and I'm one of those annoying parents that says, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I would say do your homework, uh, because it, it, you will be tested. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a very productive exercise because it is a barometer and it they'll ask you all kinds of questions about your business model, about your distribution networks, about your audience. These are people who ultimately are looking to invest in companies that have promise, but if they're going to write you a check for a few million dollars, they really want to be clear about who they're dealing with, um, how responsible you're going to be with the, those assets. So I would just say, don't wing it. Really don't wing it. You may be very smart. You may have a really great product, but make sure you have done all of your homework in terms of thinking about um, what does your market really look like? Great idea, great product, but is there really a need? Will it resonate? How will you distribute it? You, you will need to answer all those questions before you start fundraising. Uh, otherwise you'll probably won't get past the first few rounds. Hmm, fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful information. Hmm, that's interesting. And, um, what has been your, what has your experience been like raising capital for rebound wear? Because 
you often it's not it's not necessarily a a technology driven business and so there isn't more recently at least uh there's more of a history of funding businesses that do have more of a technology backbone and so i'm wondering um what has your experience been around that so we haven't gone into full fundraising mode yet we tested the waters um just to make sure again that we were fully prepared and that we understood um what what were the requirements so we did a little bit of dabbling with angel investors and to your point they are really interested in tech companies for the most part anything that's consumer based is scary to them and somehow um you know the word gets out that consumer based products are more of a risk which is interesting to me because really only 5% of the startups actually make it so technology is not a guarantee but anyway that's the focus of a lot of investors you're right then we so we did angel we did a friends and family round and then from there i spoke to some very big vcs where we're early on for sure but i just wanted to understand what were some of the metrics they were looking for um so over the past 2 years while as building the company and just understanding the the investing landscape i've seen over the years that they are becoming more curated so it used to be that a lot of these platforms were solely focused on tech but project entrepreneur for example had a focus on women's companies that were scalable and sustainable mm-hmm. that the other finalists were four other companies that were built on consumer products mm-hmm. so that was very interesting and i saw over time now Hearst magazine for example uh, they're looking to invest in companies that are associated with media so over the years the investing platforms are becoming more curated which is really helpful uh, for an entrepreneur because you don't end up throwing everything out into the universe which is not always very uh, efficient you know it's easier now to target certain companies that do do consumer other companies that just do tech mm-hmm. other companies that have sectors within tech so that just makes it a little bit easier to navigate i think yeah definitely that's interesting and um have you faced struggles that are that are unique to being a woman in entrepreneurship the the numbers currently for women in entrepreneurship are are pretty abysmal and so i'm wondering what your experience has been been with uh sort of that gender disparity yeah it's it is real <laughs> it is real and it's also mind-boggling because when you read that many VCs will tell you that their best performing companies are companies that are women founded and women run that hmm. they will only invest in 4% 4% of their investments go to women so that doesn't make any sense at all and in some of the competitions that i participated in some of them were focused solely on women and the judges were also all female uh investors but the problem with that model is that they are still motivated by models that are designed by men so even though they're all women they actually don't have the freedom and the leverage to do things in a different way and the other thing that we read and we understand about behaviors of women in business is that they're risk adverse so when you're when you're investing in entrepreneurs you need to take in in any investment quite frankly it's it's usually the people who are secure enough and who are visionaries who will take the risk on something that seems you know a little counterintuitive or not what you're used to seeing 
So that's been a little bit tricky. I've, I've been in front of some panels with all these women. I thought, ah, oh, they're going to, they'll understand me. They're going to understand this product. And, you know, we're just going to fly. <laughs> and it was not at all that. Because I don't think that they actually have the freedom to do things the way you might intuitively do it as a woman. Hmm. That's interesting. And um, I'm wondering what advice do you have for, for budding entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs who are women or entrepreneurs who are, who are minorities in, this, um, in the entrepreneurship world? Uh, what advice would you have for them based on your experience? Yeah, I do think that, you know, the challenges are greater for women and for minorities. Um, and especially if you're not pushing an app, as they say, that makes coffee in 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I am still a believer that, you know, you have to do your homework, hard work, lots and lots of research. If what you're doing, if really you've done your due diligence and you have a product that has some kind of integrity to it, you know, don't think about being a minor. Don't think about being a woman. Just push, 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 push. You know, there are a lot of tools out there now for people like us. And I would say take advantage of every single one of them. Lots of forums, lots of free um, collaborative things where you learn how to tell your story. I mean, what, uh, what I've learned is that when I'm pitching to an all-male audience of people that are predominantly in their early 30s, it's a very different pitch than when I'm dealing with maybe a, a group of investors that are both female and male, maybe a little more diverse in age. They, they're talking about storytelling right now. So the storytelling part uh, of your pitch and of your fundraising efforts is, is critical. So if you can take the extra time to really research who you will be um, having the conversation with um, and try to find the things that you have in common uh, it, in all of these books about you know negotiations, the one thing that you learn is that you may feel like you're on two different sides of a spectrum, but that, in fact, most of us have more things in common than not. So think about, research who your, investing, your potential investing team is. What are the kinds of things that they're investing in? What do they like personally? See if you can find common ground in, in personal issues, in business issues, in... Um, geographical spots and start the conversation there something that's familiar to both of you and that really does open up a more enriched conversation and it does get them to pay more attention to you ultimately so there's a big difference in pitching to an audience of mostly young males in their 30s versus a group of people that might have both male and female investors on the team and a wide uh, age range. Um, so I have to curate my pitches accordingly uh, to them. And, and so for the male audience, they want to hear about people who are just like them, weekend warriors, people who are athletic and healthy. Um, and they like the athleisure wear aspect of the product. And so that really has to be the focus. Whereas when I'm talking to other people who maybe have more women on the team and women typically are caregivers of children, parents, cousins, uh, grandparents. So there's a more emotional side. So when I was doing some of the accelerator workshops, 
when I had to talk about how convenient my product is for people with breast cancer and how I had a friend with breast cancer, those people said, oh, you should really make that an integral part of your story. That will resonate with everybody because breast cancer is something that touches us all and is very emotional. But when I use that pitch for men, of course, it makes them, it's unfamiliar to them. And it's not that they're not sensitive, but it makes them uncomfortable. So I just had to take that whole part of the product out, you know. Oh, wow. So you have to just you just have to, as I said, in in you know know who your audience is and speak to that audience in in a language that resonates with them. And if you have a great idea and you have a great product, you are not compromising anything. It's just adjusting the language a little bit to make it familiar and, and so that it resonates. That's awesome. Um, and isn't it, uh, so, so sometimes people feel like it's inauthentic to have to change your product to pitch it to, to different people or to different audiences. And I'm wondering if you have some sort of comment on that. I would say that that is one of the benefits of my product is that it really is one product that does it all for everyone from children to athletes to 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and 90-somethings. So I never feel like I'm compromising. I, I have the opportunity to talk about my product works for everyone. But I do understand what you're saying. But sometimes I, I don't I, – I believe in the integrity of the product. As I said, I believe that if what you're doing is helpful um, and useful, even if it's some kind of technology, there is no apologizing. You know, and, and, and at a certain point, if they're not understanding what you're saying and you've got to tweak your pitch to such an extent that it no longer represents your product, that's probably not the team you should be investing with anyway. You need to find investors who, you know, understand you, who appreciate the value of your product because ultimately you're going to work as a team. And if they don't get it during the pitch, then... then it's, it's, it's not a waste of time. You know, you shouldn't be discouraged. It just means that they're just not the right partner. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Well, thank you so much. This was really, really helpful. And um, thanks for being on the show, Bimla. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. You can check out Bimla on Twitter at ReboundWareNYC. For learnings from our conversations with our awesome guests, check me out on Medium or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and looking forward to seeing you next week.